Hi everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Incomplete Truth. In today's conversation, Shamatha and I are joined by Dr. Sabina Ijaz, who's a practicing physician at the Turtle Lodge. She works closely with Elder Dave to run programming and support those in the community as well. This is one of two conversations we'll be having with her, so stay tuned for the next episode as well. In today's chat, we'll be discussing her personal history of what drew her to the Turtle Lodge and how interactions with Indigenous practices has shaped her own practice as a physician. Let's get into it. Today we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Sabina Ijaz, um, and she is a primary care physician who has also worked in the ER and as a hospitalist in indigenous communities in Manitoba for the last 20 years. So for over 30 years, Sabina has also worked closely with the Turtle Lodge International Center, which is an indigenous education and wellness uh, center and national group of the indigenous knowledge keepers on many indigenous led education, justice and climate initiatives in the community. She's a volunteer medical consultant for the First Nations Health Authority. In 2020, uh, she was awarded the Distinguished Service Award by Doctors Manitoba in recognition of her work with indigenous knowledge keepers. And she currently she recently also co-authored the CMAJ cover article entitled Indigenous-Led Healthcare Partnerships in Canada. So we're really excited to have her here today to speak with us about the intersection between Western healthcare and Indigenous practices in relation to healthcare and livelihood. So without further ado, I'm going to pass it over to Shamantha, who's going to get started. Thanks, Hiri. So in today's episode, um, just as Hiri said, we wanted to delve into the intersection between, you know, Western approaches to healthcare versus Indigenous approaches to healthcare and find the, the similarities and differences within these. Um, so we would like to start by understanding Sabina's experience as a clinical physician who also incorporates Indigenous practices into her work. So Sabina, just to get us started here today, what drew you to become a clinical physician and why did you decide to work with the Indigenous community at Turtle Lodge? Thank you for the question and the opportunity. I've always had a calling to be a healer and as a child I always wanted to be a doctor. I grew up as a young woman of Punjabi and German background in Toronto in a family that cared a lot about human rights. It had always bothered me to see situations where people were suffering, whether it was from injustice or physical or emotional pain. I never really knew very many Indigenous people growing up. My first introduction to the Indigenous community was very positive. Almost 30 years ago, just before my second year of university, I was in a bad car accident. I rolled nine, nine times down a hill off the 401 in the backseat of a car and I suffered a brain injury. After the accident, I developed seizures, memory loss and trouble with focus and concentration. I began to go to the acquired brain injury clinic physiotherapy and various appointments three times a week and began to be recognized as a student with a disability. 
I was given extra time to write tests and do assignments, but I began to get increasingly demoralized and depressed. I was realizing that my gifts of speaking and debating were not what they had once been. I would forget what I was saying mid-sentence and I began to lose confidence in my social skills. I ended up dropping out of university. I didn't know what lay ahead for me. My hopes for the future seemed to be disappearing. Then one day, a friend of mine who was in med school at the time, he told me that he was going to Six Nations Reserve to see a traditional healer as part of one of his first year med school sessions. I felt drawn to that for some reason, and I asked if I could go along. I ended up going sat as a group at this woman's kitchen table at Six Nations. She talked about traditional healing from an Indigenous perspective and shared about the existence of a spiritual world, which is very real. She said a healer could invoke the spiritual help for a person through the ancient pipe ceremony and other ceremonies that could be conducted on a person's behalf. I learned that there were many facets to traditional healing that included medicines from the land, healing ceremonies, counseling, and teachings on how to have a good life. I felt very drawn to the ceremonies and teachings I was beginning to hear. They gave me hope. To make a very long story short, after seven months of building up my own faith again through daily practice, I entered into a sweat lodge. When I came out, I stood at the sacred fire to give thanks. As a warm breeze blew in from the west, I realized that the constant pressure and mental block I had been feeling for the previous two years, like a wall that prevented me from thinking, was gone. My thinking, like the gentle breeze blowing through, was free. I went to university full-time that year and got straight A's, and I got into 10 law schools, which I ended up turning down. I wanted to be a healer. This experience started me on a path that healed my mind and my brain and opened my heart. I wanted to learn more and to keep feeling this great feeling of being alive and being happy. That was 30 years ago, and ever since then, I have turned to Indigenous knowledge keepers to teach me more about healing and about life. I began coming out to Manitoba regularly in the 90s for the sun dances and other ceremonies that were happening here. These ceremonies and the teachings I was hearing were helping me to find healing on an even deeper level and to find my identity, not as an Anishinaabe or a Mohawk, but as myself. In 2002, I moved to Manitoba to help with the construction of the Turtle Lodge, which had been received in vision by Elder Dr. Dave Kershane, who was the chief of the Sundances I was attending. The Turtle Lodge was to be a place of healing and learning, led by Indigenous people, for people of all cultures and walks of life. By this point, I had just completed medical school myself and didn't really feel that Western medicine could address the fuller picture of what it meant to be human and to be well as a human being. I began the next step of my journey, learning and working in collaboration and partnership with the National Turtle Lodge Knowledge Keepers Council from across the country, working on Indigenous Knowledge Keeper-led initiatives in health, education, justice, and climate change. The rest is history. Wow, that's such an incredible story. And it's actually really inspirational as well. I think you were talking about your journey, and it seemed almost that 
this was meant to happen. You know, you were meant to find this way of living and become a healer and affect so many people in such a positive way. And I'm so glad that you were able to find that journey and find that path for yourself. And everything you talked about, about not being able to remember things and use your brain the way you used to uh, after your accident and all of that just kind of disappearing in a way, but also restructuring um, the way that you think about uh, healthcare as well is moving. And so the question that I have, um, which I'm really curious about, is after going through the healing experience after your accident and then going to med school, did you find that it was difficult to be in a sphere where you were learning a lot about Western medicine? Did you have classes um, where they talked a little bit about Indigenous health, about uh, Indigenous practices, or was that something that you had to seek out by yourself and not through your institution? As far as um, med school is concerned, it was not really about learning Indigenous healing practices or traditions. Um, if anything, I would, it was more, you know, my own, my own search and my own experience where I, uh, I gained more understanding and actually help for myself. I remember I would, uh, I would make sure every Monday there were things going on at Six Nations and I made sure I would, you know, I, I organized it so that I could get out of my classes so I could go. And then on weekends I would, um, I would always um, go to the ceremonies for my own personal, um, to keep my strength up because it, it wasn't an easy process. Um, to go through med school, especially given that I, I had already been learning so such a, like I felt a much deeper understanding of, of wellness that was not being reflected in what I was taught. And the only really, the only thing really that we learned about indigenous people in med school was about racism. There was a, a one class at one time that, you know, in which the the whole history of colonization um, and racism was shared, you know, in with respect to Indigenous people, um, you know, and and a lot of the knowledge keepers tell me today that you know what we see, you know, how Indigenous people are facing a much higher burden of illness than the rest of the country um, is really a reflection of symptoms of colonization and genocide. It's it's because of all the trauma, because of the you know, the lack of um, proper housing, you know, financial insecurity, all of these issues that together um, make a people feel like they're, they're being rejected. And what a thing to feel, you know, in terms of your own wellness, you know, when you feel rejected, it, it can affect you in a lot of ways, you know, and, and, you know, you think of why people may be um, anybody really, you know, when, when you see conditions like chronic diseases where, you know, people are obese or overweight, you know, a lot of times people are choosing food to self-medicate, you know, and, and the, the habits that are, that are taking place are, you know, you can't really blame. <laughs> you have to understand the whole context. And if you, if there's any blame to be felt, we have to look at our whole society and, and the responsibility we all face, you know, in, in making the society more just and equitable for everyone. So these were some of the things, but if you, if you think about, you know, what we learn in school about indigenous people, we're not learning 
the positives. You know, if you think about if, if black people just learned about themselves in terms of slavery, it's very demoralizing. Like, you know, you, you know, we all come from a proud and strong people with values and experiences and a positive history. And, you know, what, what's being taught in the schools, you know, including medical school isn't really reflected, reflecting all of that. I agree with that um, 100%. And I just wanted to ask before we move on that how many, how long, just for our viewers to um, the listeners to have a better understanding that how long have you been working with Turtle Lodge? I, it's almost 30 years since um, I went into the sweat lodge. Um, that was in the early 90s. And it's been almost 20 years that I've been working with Turtle Lodge, although I've been coming to Manitoba since the mid 90s. The Turtle Lodge um, as it stands now, was built in 2002, and I moved out here at that time, um, although I was back and forth before then, and there was a smaller turtle lodge there before this this construction was, was completed. Okay, um, and how has your experience then with, with um, you know, and the vast amount of knowledge that you've been exposed to in Turtle Lodge, um, how has that impacted your clinical practices as a physician? Um, and, you know, the overall impact that you, you have seen, at least with your patients and within the community in itself. Indigenous knowledge keepers have been my teachers and colleagues now for almost 30 years. Uh, working with them has meant entering into a different paradigm or way of thinking outside of colonial thinking and understanding that they operate with a living knowledge that comes from the spirit and that comes through nature which is alive. The knowledge keepers are highly esteemed and respected Indigenous elders and the traditional leaders of Indigenous nations. They are grounded in land-based knowledge of the laws of the earth. They're rooted in their communities, fluent in their original languages, which is also very important because the language is connected to the land. Um, and well connected to their ancestral ceremonies, teachings, and traditions. They are individuals who have spent a lifetime working and studying with their elders and in the ceremonies of their people, earning the knowledge that they now share willingly with young people from many cultures. They have taught me about the root cause of illness, a spiritual imbalance, and how to address it using ancient Indigenous methods of finding identity, such as healing ceremonies, rites of passage to adulthood that help one find meaning and purpose, and sacred teachings about our roles and responsibilities as human beings. I have seen the effect of what they do, not only in my life, but on my patients. For example, as doctors, we can talk until we are blue in the face to a person with diabetes about lifestyle and being compliant with medications, yet it can be difficult to get up off the couch to exercise or to choose foods that are healing rather than self-medicating if one's spirit is low, if one is feeling depressed, if one does not have a vision or a purpose in life to motivate. Indigenous healers and knowledge keepers are gifted in addressing our hurting spirit, the true root of the disease, and through time-tested land-based practices used for tens of thousands of years of teachings, counseling, ceremony, they open the door for Mother Earth, 
and the creator to heal and lift our spirit. Thank you for that. I think the connection to the spirit is one thing that we do not see in today's um, biomedical practices within the Western world. Um, The connection in itself is not emphasized. It's for lack thereof, better words, it's neglected almost. Um, Physicians have a heavy emphasis on, you know, medications, on um, well-being in the sense that it's almost as if it's an external aspect. You take a medication and it's supposed to make you feel better. If you have any type of fever or if you're feeling low, then the first your first reaction is to go to the doctor. And as soon as you receive a medication, your hopes are that, okay, that is what will fix me. But we don't necessarily adopt a perspective that, you know, there's such thing as internal healing or that the existence of a spirit that exists within ourselves. And it's not something that's unnatural. It is the most natural part of ourselves. I agree if one's spirit is low, even getting up from bed is, is not something that Uh, is doable. It's something that you can struggle with. And these are aspects of um, medicine or even the understanding of the human body and its connection to the mind that I also find that is not explicitly practiced within our medical system. So going on from that, we wanted to talk about how do you see yourself um, incorporating these resources from both sides together within your practice? Because I think having such access to knowledge in itself is a great resource for physicians. And I think this is something that should be incorporated um, into medical teaching and education. So we want to hear more about, you know, your perspective on how your exposure to both of these teachings helps you as a physician in your journey. Absolutely. Um, Well, Indigenous knowledge keepers and their approaches have made made me realize and strengthen my faith and belief in how connected we are to the greater universe, um, the spiritual realm, you know, and however we, we experience that and, and because it's real, uh, many, many people from all cultures experience the, um, the, the existence of spirit in their own lives and their own, you know, and however it is shown to them. And also the, the natural world. Um, they've helped me to see how, like both how small and, and insignificant we are in the world, as well as how potentially powerful we can be when we follow natural and spiritual law. What we believe, what we think, what we say, what we do matters not only to our personal health, but also on a cosmic scale. Each of us has tremendous power when we follow the teachings such as the seven sacred laws of the Anishinaabe and behave in positive ways in service to others, in service to nature, in service to our personal purpose. Once we discover what that is, we each have a unique identity and unique gifts. If we were all to discover what those are and use them for the benefit of the greater good, my goodness, what a beautiful world we could create. Um, I think, you know, I wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about about some of the practices that have impacted me um, and what I've seen in the community. We definitely want to hear more about your specific experiences. So please. Mm-hmm share okay well um 
the ceremonies such as the sacred fire, the sun dance, the rites of passage and naming ceremonies to me hold incredible power and have incredible impact. They basically help you to feel your own spirit. I've witnessed the traditional drum sounded in a pipe ceremony, touch the heart and bring hundred, like a hundred lawyers to tears at the Turtle Lodge. Um, the rites of passage are hugely life-changing and transformational for so many. A young boy who reaches the age of 12 can go to the land to fast for four days and nights and pray with all his heart for a dream or vision that will give, give him his purpose in life. Young women entering puberty are brought to the grandmothers, aunties and mothers for special teachings and ceremonies to help them understand their sacred role as a woman. The naming ceremony is very powerful. I saw a guy in the clinic um, in his late teens. He kept coming to see me for anemia. He had low iron. He was always very quiet and I didn't feel like pushing him to talk. I respected his space. And then one day I saw him at the Turtle Lodge and at our next appointment, I mentioned, hey, I saw you at the Turtle Lodge. All of a sudden he opened up. He talked for 45 minutes straight about how he received his spiritual name and ceremony at the Turtle Lodge and how much it meant to him. His name had something to do with being the lead wolf. wolf. And he gave me many examples about all his life like how all his life he'd been like the alpha wolf in his relationships with other people. And then he said this, you know, I tried to kill myself seven times, he told me. I tried to hang myself. Each time I found a tree with a big branch and I tested the rope. Seven times the branch broke. Now that I have my name, I know that's behind me. And you know, that guy did well. I see him around and he still seems to be doing okay. This was a maybe four or five years ago that I that this happened. He uh, he finished high school. He started renting a place in town. He found a woman and they had a child. I still see him around and and I see that like the naming ceremony was very important for him in helping him feel confident about his identity. Sitting at a sacred fire, which is a special prayer fire that is seen as a doorway to the spirit world, can have an incredible impact on healing. Spending time outside, sitting alone, connected to a sacred fire, you can share and give away all your hurts and pains to a higher power of spirit and receive direction and guidance through your own heart and answer to the questions you have in your life. These are some of the examples. Sabina, thank you so much for sharing that with us. We're not only able to get a sense of your personal journey, but it's more evident than ever that a connection and respect to the natural world is crucial for healing and growth. We appreciate you sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us and can't wait for our next conversation. For all those who are listening, we hope you gained as much as we did from this conversation today and stay tuned for our next episode where the three of us will expand on the intersection between Indigenous practices and healthcare, as well as the impact COVID-19 has had on health. Thanks so much for joining us and see you again soon. Bye.